Coming live from California is our guest this morning. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on whichever platform you're watching or listening to this show on. And today we have Brian DeMint, CEO of Salt and Light and author of Bitcoin Evangelism. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm uh, really excited to talk to your audience. It's for me, it's it's uh, nighttime. For you, it's morning time. So I love I love the internet because it makes it fun. So I'm I'm more yes. of a night owl. So thank you for not making me get up early in the morning my time. I yes. like to stay up late. <laughs> Great. That's the way internet is making sense uh, to us in our lives. Now today we'll try to make sense of Bitcoin, you know, on blockchain and all those cryptos that are there and the world of crypto as such. So, uh, Brian, for the based common people, we have a lot of common people in India and that is where a lot of market is also there. And for every company, every product, people are looking at the general masses. But a lot of general masses in India do not they know about, they have heard about blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin, but many of them do not know what it is. So in general terms, what exactly is uh, Bitcoin and what is blockchain, if you, if you can start with that? That's a wonderful question. I, I mean, it's a great, uh, a great place to start um, because I know a lot of people here in the United States that, that have even bought Bitcoin or some other kind of cryptocurrency. And they couldn't even explain what a blockchain was. Um, and so uh, I think some people get the cart before the horse. Uh, people get it backwards. I think that that's kind of the whole point of my book is I, I first explain Bitcoin as a technology and why it matters, why it's good sound money. And then I explain what blockchain and, and cryptocurrency is. And then if you want to look at it as an investment, I wouldn't even think about it as an investment unless you're first sold on it as a technology. So to your question, um, what is a blockchain in its simplest term? Now, it, it can go beyond this, but just to, if I have two minutes to explain it to somebody in an elevator, all I would say to them was a blockchain represents the first time that two people can interact peer to peer through the Internet. That's a that's a pretty landmark invention that didn't exist before blockchain. Um, we've always needed intermediaries um, and and money is, is probably the biggest uh one of the biggest markets for intermediaries. So um, a really popular payments app here in the United States, I'm not sure how, fam uh, how familiar everybody is with it, but uh, PayPal, it's a pretty, pretty big, big payments app. And uh, a lot of people think that, oh, I sent my friend a PayPal payment. And so that was a peer to peer payment. It actually isn't a peer to peer payment. Um, it looks like that. It feels like that because my app sends $10 to another person's app. And we feel like it was just it was just them and I that were interacting in any given transaction. There's usually at least five parties involved. And so, for example, if I'm sending five dollars to my friend Tom, well, if I send that payment through PayPal, I'm first asking my bank, say Wells Fargo here in the United States, I would be asking them for permission. Then I'm involved because I'm sending the payment. Then PayPal is involved. And then usually they're using Visa or MasterCard to send the payment. Then the receiving bank approves it. And then finally, my friend. So there's five or six parties involved. It looks very seamless. But the, the CEO of PayPal, one of the biggest companies in the world, he said a few years ago, he said, 
a lot of people think that our, our app looks brilliant because on the front end, the user experience is phenomenal. It, it looks like it's 21st century. But if you look at the back end, the technology in which they use to move money around the world, it's 1970s technology. It's really old technology and it certainly isn't peer to peer. The only way you can transact person to person today without, sorry, before the internet, uh, excuse me, before blockchain was invented and Bitcoin, Bitcoin and blockchain were invented at the same time. It's one thing. Um, but the only way you could interact peer to peer was using cash or using coins. If you and I were standing in the same room, using right. cash was the only way that you and I can interact peer to peer. So Bitcoin and blockchain represented a digital form of cash in the sense that you can interact with somebody with no middleman, no intermediary, and when you think about the implications of that, that's pretty massive in terms of censorship resistance, in terms of nobody being able to game the system, right? Here in the United States, our central bank, the Federal Reserve, writes the monetary policy for basically the entire world. What, what the central bank in the United States does affects countries all around the world. And that's a group of 12 men that sit in a room and decide all the monetary policy for the world. That's not very fair. It's not very democratic. It's not very, you know, it's not equality based or anything like that. Bitcoin and blockchain represent a true, a truly level playing field for anybody that's interacting with it. So again, at the end of the day, a blockchain is just a, an algorithm that allows two people to interact peer to peer with no middleman. It's just an algorithm that says, if person A is sending person B $5, I just send it. I just do what I'm told. And there's nobody in between to block the transaction or anything like that. Okay. So blockchain as a technology, as per you, is good. And on that is based all the crypto or cryptocurrencies, if, I, if I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there are some, some caveats to that. Um, there are some... Okay. Cryptocurrencies that try to use different technology. There's things called like the Tangle um, and Gossip. There, there are other. They're called distributed ledger technologies. So they're similar to blockchain. Um, they take a little bit, but but we would call them all under the, the umbrella of, uh, of of cryptocurrency. And it's kind of the people that are trying to, um, in the same way that uh, you know there was there was uh, DVDs and then there were Blu-rays. Um, right. there, there's, right. you know, different forms of technology that look similar. So it's kind of, they're competing to see who is the best, but yeah, right now yeah. the far, far, the most widely adopted is blockchain and specifically Bitcoin, um, as the application of blockchain. Okay. Okay. Brian. So your book, you know, uh, Bitcoin evangelism, it's a complete guide to understanding Bitcoin blockchain and the broader cryptocurrency space. That's good. And that's why. We are talking to you because you know a good deal of stuff. You have also worked earlier on, you know, with, with another company. We are the chief marketing officer of Athenium blockchain, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's where you have got a lot of experience. And now you are doing uh, explaining things and stuff about, about blockchain. Now you talk about uh, that blockchain will help you and uh, bitcoins will help you transact that the transaction will happen in a much more democratic level. But tell me the importance of Bitcoins or blockchain in today's time for a person like me or for a whole lot of people in India. For example, uh, earlier there was there were only say around less than 200 countries and everybody had their own currencies and uh, US dollar was one of the prominent ones. We had our 
Indian national rupee. Every country had their rupee and every country knew where they stand in terms of that rupee. But then uh, still people were doing their work and it was all happening. Then these wallets came in. People were happy with transacting with PayPal in, uh, in the US, you know, and then we had Paytm in India and so many other ones. And then this whole thing of blockchain, Bitcoin came in, but 8,000 plus currencies, so-called cryptos, is that, isn't that too democratic or in a way for a lot of people in the, on this planet, it's too confusing means uh, how do one decide who helps them decide and what about the sovereign powers of the government who controls the country then these are the major questions for a people like for people for a lot of people who under who want to understand this uh, in their own manner yeah those are some really great questions so i'm going to try and answer them all uh if i for, if i leave something out just remind me that i missed it um so your yeah, first yeah. question was why does it matter to people um and one of the reasons and and i think it takes a, a book to to really flesh these things out. But I mean, there, I think I, I would like to give some tangible answers for your audience tonight um, or today. Uh, but I think that why it matters um, is because Bitcoin represents the first money and the first currency. And, and by the way, money and currency are slightly different things. Currency Currencies are usually tied to governments. Money can be something that's outside of, of government, um, like gold was money, but it still has kind of a, a currency type effect because even though gold coins would have been issued by governments. They usually have the government stamp on it. So really Bitcoin represents the first pure form of money that um, out, that, that acts outside of government. It's even, even more outside of government than gold because um, gold had this confiscatability. Um, you know, people, people, governments basically in the United States in the 1930s, they made owning gold illegal. You couldn't even own gold in the United States. So it, it had this gold is very highly censorable. Um, and so Bitcoin really represents the first time that there's a form of money that is outside of government uh, decree. And that's all fiat currencies mean uh, for your, those in your audience that don't know. Every currency on the face of the planet is a fiat currency. And all that means is the only reason it has value is by fiat, by government decree. So beyond right. that, it's not backed by gold. It's not backed by oil. It's not backed by any other commodity. Bitcoin is is the first money that is it's not given value by government it's not given value by decree it's given value by the market it's given value by what the people in the market will pay for it and uh, i would i even have a whole chapter in the book devoted to why bitcoin actually has inherent value that's where a lot of people come in uh and they have a hard time understanding that say bitcoin you can't even hold it with gold you could make a bowl out of it or you can use it for electronic parts and and there's a case there i, I actually i like gold so i'm not against gold and so gold has about 15% of gold's market cap. The value of gold comes from uh, um, industrial uses. So most value in gold is, is because of uh, it as a luxury item or as a store of value. Bitcoin, I'd say where a lot of its value comes from, and there's a few different reasons, but I think to me the most compelling is that it's censorship resistant money. It's money that you are entirely sovereign over. So your bank can't seize it. The government can't seize it. Um, you, you have full control over your own money. And when people have control over their own money, it, it unlocks a lot of value. Um, most of the world isn't banked. And so there's a whole generation of people 
that that never had access to banking services, especially in poorer countries. There's lots of people in Africa in developing nations that never had bank accounts because it didn't make financial sense for banks to open up in those areas because it, the banks wouldn't make any money. There wouldn't be enough deposits for for poor developing countries. And but what those what those poor developing countries do have is they have uh, they skipped landline telephones. They went directly to. Uh, smartphone networks they went directly to smartphones iphones android phones um they have an ability to tap into bitcoin they have an ability to leapfrog a generation of of banks they have the ability to leapfrog a generation of landline telephones and all these things and leapfrog directly into bitcoin which is enabling them to be to have essentially a banking service a bank account for the first time in history and when you have that all of a sudden your network goes from the only people you can sell, say, if you sell shoes, the only people in the world you could sell shoes to before were the people that you shared a currency with in your local village. Now your potential economy is the entire world because now you've tapped into a currency, a form of money that is accepted across all corners of the world. You can find people in every country on every continent that accept this form of money. So you're not, you're now tapped into a much broader economy um, around the world. So there's a ton of, of, of really interesting reasons why I think Bitcoin has inherent value, but that's just part of the reason why I think Bitcoin matters. I didn't touch on the 8,000 cryptocurrencies yet, but um, <laughs> I want to pause for a second so you can, you can talk. Yes, no problem. Yeah, that, that's, I, for a common person, it will be difficult to understand. Uh, Bitcoin people know because it's one of the first movers. Now, at a later stage, when all, if, if at all it gets accepted as widely in all countries, then everybody will come to the marketing side and you will find everywhere the talk will be dominated about whose crypto is the best. And when, where, how will people decide? Already there is NFTs and there is Ethereum, uh, Ethereum and all that stuff. So it sometimes can get too confusing. But from my perspective, if I ask you that, I meet a lot of people, even in India, that even when all this talk was not happening, that some were investing in Bitcoins and all. A lot of time it was about the value of all these currencies or cryptos rising. When you are talking about Africa and the good use that it can be put to, I'm yet to meet a person or any dialogue that is happening which says how Bitcoin or bit, uh, blockchain will benefit Humanity, mm. everywhere it's about the price. Yeah. Now, how is this dialogue, instead of value to humanity, getting shifted towards the price? You know, it's almost like the stock market. But stock market, behind the stock market, there are companies. But yeah. a lot of time it is talking about the... But behind the Bitcoin or the blockchain technology, what is there? There's nothing. So if we just keep on talking about just the pricing across all places across the world and people are wanting to get rich quicker and quicker it is hum human it's human yeah. uh, trait the whole that's why perhaps somewhere this whole conversation gets convoluted and the real aspect is not coming out maybe your book is trying to uh, uh, you know address that issue mm -hmm. but obviously in, uh, for the general message you have to uh, explain it and not only you, are people who are a lot more, uh, you know, connected to this whole concept has to do that. What yeah. do you say on? 
so that I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I, I find it frustrating that um, even a lot of the people I talk to, they, they only talk about it in terms of price um, because if you don't know anything about it and you bought it early and you and it went up in price, people feel smart, right? Because I, I, I bought Bitcoin for $10,000 and it went up to $20,000. So they want to brag to all their friends. I liken that. The, the, what I compare that to is the guy that goes to the casino and tells you that he never loses. But he only tells you about the times he wins. He doesn't. He doesn't tell you about the time that he lost hundred dollars. He only tells you about the time he won fifty bucks. So, um, I try to. I try to tell people all the time: get past the noise, get past the 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 appeal of price increase. Um, because if this technology matters, sure, I do believe it's going to go up in price. I think that 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 will come, and I, I'm happy to talk about that. I think that's an interesting component of it. But that should be the second thing we talk about. Um, you know, and I, I love the way that you asked that question. Why people need to know why it matters first. I have um, a, a really big demand right now for my book, and I, I'm, I'm working on the Spanish transla translation of my book because I have some Salvadorians uh, that uh, that speak and read English, and they've read the book, and they're trying to uh, help me partner with some of the local merchants down in El Salvador. So I don't know, are you familiar or is your audience familiar with the fact that El Salvador has actually adopted Bitcoin as a national currency? Yes, in, Indians, are, uh, Indians uh, read a lot of newspapers. Even I read it. Uh, so that El Salvador was the first country to accept Bitcoin uh, officially, I guess, if I'm right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. brilliant. I love that they, they've already heard about that. So, so I've had Salvadorians reaching out to me and asking me, hey, I'm working with merchants because merchants uh, are, are trying to get customers to adopt Bitcoin. And they, they need, they're trying to explain to customers why as merchants, as a seller. So if you're a restaurant, why would you want people to pay in Bitcoin? And the reason being for your audience, if they don't know, I, I run a chain of small businesses here in the United States. So I'm, I'm very familiar with how this process works of collecting payments as a merchant. But in the United States, most people pay with their credit cards. And so um, I don't know if that's how you, you know you guys do it in India, but most most transactions aren't done with cash. They're done with credit cards. I mean, for us, almost 100% of our transactions are, are credit card based. And uh, there's two reasons as a company, as a business, why I would prefer accepting a Bitcoin payment uh, through the Lightning Network versus doing credit cards. The first reason, when I sell something at my business, what I'm getting, so when they swipe their credit card, people think that the money's getting sent right away. It's not. There's two parts to a credit card transaction. There's an approval is what you see in a few seconds. And then there's a settlement, which doesn't happen until at least 48 hours later. The approval says, oh, this person has money in their account. They're good to go for the payment. The business can then give you the product or the food or whatever it is that you're buying. But that business isn't getting your money in their account for at least two business days. And if it's the weekend, it might be three or four business days if it's a holiday. So businesses have this latency period um, anywhere from 40, uh, 48 to 96 hours when they get paid. Now you think about what that means for a business. In my business, we, we do uh, about $1.3 million in sales per year, which is still considered a, a pretty small business here in the United States. Um, we have a few locations and we do, we do well, but it's not a big business. But for our business, we have to keep about thirty dollars to $40,000 extra in cash at our, in our accounts at any given time just to float this process between when we sell something and when we put out uh, when we put out our costs. So all of our payroll and the cost of goods that we're selling to our customers. And then when we get paid, we have this window in which, you know, as it could be as long as 16% of the month, we could be waiting for payments 
to come in on products that we've already sold. Um, and so when you get a Bitcoin payment through the Lightning Network, which is, hap which is what they're doing in El Salvador, these companies have the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So when you get paid, it's instant. So if I got paid from my customer and it was instantly in my account, that would free up like I said, thirty to forty thousand dollars of cash in my business that wouldn't need to sit in my account, just there to be a buffer. And so that's a big thing. You think about my company is not a very big company, but what about like large companies? They might have millions or even billions of dollars sitting in their accounts just to float this process of waiting to get paid for the products that they've already sold. So that's a that's that's the number one uh, uh, or uh, first reason. The second reason is all those credit card transactions usually charge about 3%, uh, a 3% fee on the transaction. So for my business, we spend about $50,000 per year in credit card transaction fees. Just, just for the right to, to accept credit cards, we spend $50,000. A Bitcoin Lightning payment costs about one twelfth of a penny. Sometimes it's totally free. So my business could be saving $50,000 per year in merchant fees. Now you think about, I'm in the United States, in California, a really good economy. What about in El Salvador where, I mean, merchants can't afford to pay those types of merchant fees. They can't afford to pay 3% on their fees. They can't afford to have extra cash in their bank account um, in order to float this process between when they sell goods and when they get paid for the goods. So to the merchants in El Salvador and to a developing countries, this is a absolute game changer that allows companies to open up that might have not been able to open up otherwise, or if they are running a successful business, their business, their bottom line is going to increase and therefore stimulate the economy. Because these, these merchant services companies, a lot of those companies in El Salvador, their merchant service providers are still companies like Visa and MasterCard, American companies. Those merchant fees are being extracted out of El Salvador and sent to the United States. Now that money can stay in the local economy, in the local business. So when you talk about it that way, it actually, it brings power back to the individual merchant by being able to do that. Okay. Okay, Brian. Now talking of pizzas used uh, in India, we do, and they accept all sort of, you know, uh, payment modes from credit cards to debit cards, to wallets, to UPI transaction, everything for, you know, pay, for paying for pizzas, either online or offline. Now, talking of pizzas, you see, around a decade back or, or around that, for two pizzas, somebody paid first, for the first time, somebody paid in Bitcoin for two pizzas. Hmm. And the price of that, that Bitcoin today is approximately $450 million, if I've read it correctly. Hmm. Where does this value come from? Who sets this price? Who sets this value? Is it demand and supply? That is what I want to understand. It's not a concern. It's, it's, it's something that an understanding, even in a stock market, if the value of a particular thing goes up, you still have some news backed by some news of a company's growth, either true or false or boosted or, you know, gimmick. But at least there is something. Where does this sort of a value come from? As I said, for people's understanding, $450 million, everybody will try to find this. And who prints, you know, who sets the price? And about countries, as I said, the sovereign power of a country. So I ask you, 
if bitcoins is are based on demand and supply or whatever they can print in there then who what about government currencies they print it because it is they have certain amount of gold or uh, there is a sovereign guarantee they print the currency according to the needs of their time but brian de min tell me who prints bitcoin or all this i love i love these- i love that you brought up the bitcoin pizza so there's a thing called bitcoin pizza day like we actually celebrate the day that that guy bought two pizzas for 10,000 bitcoin um so yeah it's it's you know I think at its peak, that 10,000 Bitcoin would have been worth something like almost $700 million or something like that. Um, so, yeah, everybody says, oh, that poor guy, he must regret those two pizzas. But if you look, if you go back and watch, he's a known person. I forget what his name is. It's like Lazarus, I think, is the guy's name. He enjoyed name. the pizza. He enjoyed yeah, the pizza. Yeah, it must have been a really good pizza. <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, just on that point, that wasn't, your, that wasn't your question. You were just bringing that up. But that guy, Lazarus, any interview that he's done, people say, oh, do you regret selling or you know paying 10,000 bitcoins for pizza just to give a little bit more detail to that story that was the first time bitcoin ever was given monetary value because before that point it was just this internet currency that people gave to one another it, nobody had ever exchanged money for a bitcoin before so 10,000 bitcoin had no monetary value this guy he was intentional in the fact that he said um i i hey on the on some internet forum he said all if somebody orders two pizzas to my house i'll pay you ten thousand bitcoin so that we can actually record the first transaction in history where bitcoin has monetary value so at that point i believe each pizza was worth about ten dollars so that means that you know ten thousand bitcoin were was worth about twenty dollars at that time so it's actually where does value come from this is true across all things and this goes back to adam smith um, he wrote The Wealth of Nations, which is one of the most prolific ec- economic books of all time. He says that it's value just comes or what something costs is what somebody's willing to pay for it. It's like a really uh, it doesn't sound like a very intelligent answer, but that's true. Right. Um, if bitcoins didn't have any inherent value, then people wouldn't pay any money for them. Right. Um, and so to your question about how who who prints Bitcoin. The way Bitcoin is is developed is it's a really novel process. It's called proof of work mining. Anybody can be a part of printing Bitcoin. You can go out, you can turn on the Bitcoin software on your computer. You can download Bitcoin software and start running it in the background on, on your computer. And essentially what you're doing is you're helping process transactions on the Bitcoin network. And by doing that, you're securing the network. You're an, another computer that's supplying more hash power to the network. And in doing that, you can earn little bits and pieces of Bitcoin. Now you think about it. Most people, when you ask them the question, because you know, over the last two years in the United States, we've printed something like 40% of all the dollars that have ever existed have been printed in the last two years in the United States. And people say, oh, that's ridiculous that the Federal Reserve can just print it without, and it's not even that they're printing it, that the Federal Reserve chairman said, oh, we don't even print the money. We don't send it through a money printer. We're not printing out dollar bills. We're just typing in keystrokes on a keyboard. So it's even less work than printing the money. They're just typing in, oh, we now have a trillion more dollars. We have another trillion dollars because they're typing that on a keyboard. The problem with that is that it takes no work. There's no limiting factor that says, if you're going to create more currency, you have to do something in return. Now, that's what that's exactly what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin mining, it just says that if you're going to produce more Bitcoin, you have to provide computational power. It's called proof of work 
because you're doing a mathematical algorithm on your computer in order to produce more Bitcoin. And so you're, you're, you're helping secure the network by producing more Bitcoin. Um, so you're not producing it out of thin air. There's only about uh, 900 Bitcoin that get created every day. That's one of the other big differences between Bitcoin and fiat currencies. Fiat currencies, even though the government told us here in the United States that that 40% of all dollars were printed in, in the last two years, we actually don't know if that's true. <laughs> we really don't know. We're just kind of taking their word for it. With Bitcoin, you can check the blockchain at any time. And so because we know the supply of Bitcoin, we know how much is going to come into existence every 10 minutes, every day, every every week. We can actually go and we can put we can take any date on the calendar 10 years from now and we can know exactly how much Bitcoin is going to be in circulation on that day. And there is a, uh, a famous economist named Milton Friedman. He's, he's a famous economist that I quote several times in my book. And he says the most important thing you need for a sound money system or a money system that's fair for people is people just need to be able to know how much is being produced at any time. It can be a high amount of money that's produced. It could be a low amount of money. But if you want a fair system, you need a predictable supply of money. And so Bitcoin re represents the first ever predictable supply of money. And it's called, we call it in Bitcoin, we use the word trustless. You don't even have to trust that, you know, some Bitcoin, there's not a CEO of Bitcoin that says, hey, we only printed 900 new Bitcoin today. You can go yourself and you don't have to have a computer science degree. You can go anytime and look on the blockchain and see how many are being created at any given time. It's the world's most transparent system that's ever existed. So it's transparent, it's fair, and it requires work in order to create new currency, which fiat currencies require no work. It just requires a few strokes of the keyboard. Well, but there has to be some benchmarking, grind. How does, suppose Bitcoin is good, but what about other, other, uh, other cryptos, you know, 8,000 plus, it can be 20,000 up later on. How do they benchmark their, you know, minting of uh, coins or whatever it is or in their own manner? How do you guarantee that? Secondly, mm -hmm. today, if we, if any government prints just their currency, their money, then they have to take care of the inflation. Otherwise, the demand uh, will be there uh, and basic uh, things demand for a loaf of bread, then your, you know, even a hundred million dollars will be less Then you will not be able to buy anything. Mm -hmm. So we have to. So there are elected governments all across the world who are accountable. What about blockchain based, you know, cryptos who and what is the basis of they're, you know, benchmarking their currency, the value of currency. Who decides? As you said, that is printed against some price. Which price? Which country's price? Is there a global price? Would they talk to the UN and then decide about the price? How does that work out? See, the whole evangelism is great. From, and that is where I also want to understand and we will read your book, how to get to the depth of this whole concept and start using it if at all there is a need, first, uh, if at all there is a need and whether it is uh, important for me to use. Yeah. So as far as, you know, talking back about the value of how it came to this value, um, like we said, there was a day when Bitcoin had no monetary value. Then there was a day where after those two pizzas, Bitcoin, 10,000 Bitcoin were, were worth about $20. Um, and now we, we've gotten to the point today where one single Bitcoin was worth about $23,000. The way that that happens, and again, going back to quoting Adam Smith, the economist, 
he says that markets are efficient. And all that means is at some point in history, and I believe 10 years ago today, I just looked at this stat, 10 years ago today, a single Bitcoin was worth about $9. Um, at, at one point, there was a, you, you could buy Bitcoins for $9. The reason being, because there wasn't that many people that were chasing after it. It's it, like you said, you mentioned supply and demand, and sometimes that's not a very satisfying answer, but there's been obviously enough demand that has outstripped the supply. There wasn't, there was, there was too many Bitcoins available at $9. All of those got bought up. And then all of the Bitcoins that were available at $10 got bought up. And then you, you keep ratcheting that up. And so again, not a very satisfying answer, but every time a Bitcoin gets to hundred dollars, people say, it's worth more than that. People buy it up. And that's how you get this price up to $23,000. And why would it have demand? It has demand uh, for different reasons. Um, in the early part of this year in 2020 in Canada, they had all sorts of a uh, global vaccine or uh, can Canadian vaccine mandates and the truckers. I don't know if you're familiar with the Canadian trucker rally. Yeah, um, yeah. They basically, People in the United States and all over the world donated through a company called uh, GoFundMe. And they said, here, we're going to donate so you can practice your free speech and you can protest these mandates. The company GoFundMe shut that down. The company said, we don't like what you're for. We actually don't think we don't agree with the truckers. So we're not going to give those the $10 million of donations that people gave. We're going to block that. Then another company stood up called Give, Send, Go. They said, well, if GoFundMe is not going to do it, donate through our company and we'll give that to the truckers. So they got about three, $4 million of donations. They went to send that to the truckers, but then the Canadian government stepped in. The Canadian government said, Nope, I'm sorry. Anybody that's, that's doing that, we're going to charge you as funding terrorism because they, they enabled this thing called the emergencies act. And they actually labeled donations coming in as funding terrorism. So you could be sent to jail, all sorts of terrible things if they saw that your bank account transacting with those people. So the only way that people were able to continue to exer exercise their free speech through that rally was by getting Bitcoin donations. Now, there was all sorts of news stories where people heard that uh, Bitcoin wallets were being confiscated and things like that. That's not true. Um, those were exchange wallets. So if you go on Coinbase or Binance or one of those exchanges where you can buy Bitcoin, if you hold your money on there and then try to transfer it to somebody, those are regulated exchanges. Those can be blocked. But if you have a self-custody Bitcoin wallet, meaning if you go download a Nunchuck wallet or Blue Wallet or Wallet of Satoshi, there's a bunch of wallets where you run the software yourself and you can send Bitcoin to anybody in the world that you want to. There's nobody that can block that. And so that's how um, if you look at Bitcoin as freedom money, if, if it's if it's money that can't be messed with. Um, there's a huge demand for that, right? Um, in like, I, I always reference uh, Africa, but there's there's all sorts of geopolitical issues in Africa where there's dictators or warlords that are confiscating people's money. It's very difficult to co confiscate Bitcoin. If you have gold or currency, somebody can put a gun in your face and and because they see that you have currency and they say, "Give me your money. I take it out of your pockets and give it to me." With Bitcoin. I can store, I can, I can remember a 12 word phrase. I can store all of my, my Bitcoin with this passphrase. I don't have to store it anywhere physical. I can just remember that passphrase and then take my Bitcoin with me wherever I want to go. Um, so I can go across borders. If I'm fleeing because I'm, I'm a refugee or something like that, I can store all of my wealth in Bitcoin and carry it with me in my head. And nobody can rob that, uh, rob me of that because they wouldn't know that I have it. They could put a gun in my face. They can search my body. They won't find anything, 
Um, they're just, I'm going to have my, my value stored in my head. So again, there's, there's a, a, a demand there for that. Um, there's also a demand because of the scarcity. Um, people that like gold, that like things that are scarce, that have a fixed supply, um, they're very attracted to Bitcoin because there's only ever going to be 21 mil million Bitcoin ever. And so to have something that has a finite supply, there's 45 million millionaires in the world. That means not every millionaire can even have an entire Bitcoin. So when you think about supply and demand economics, the price of Bitcoin right now at 23,000, I know we, I don't like to talk about price first, but, we, but if we're talking about supply and demand of the Bitcoin price, I only see demand outstripping the current supply um, by, by quite a bit. There's just so many wealthy people in the world that want Bitcoin. There's so many poor people in the world that want Bitcoin as freedom money. Um, and so I think the price is going to be quite north of here. I think we're at a very low price for Bitcoin at $23,000. Um, and speaking to those other cryptocurrencies, I would treat most other cryptocurrencies um, as though they're fiat currencies. I don't think most cryptocurrencies have merit. Um, Bitcoin is the only sound money. Um, there's no other cryptocurrency that has sound money principles like Bitcoin. No other cryptocurrency or very few of them even have a fixed supply. So Bitcoin has a 21 million supply. Most other cryptocurrencies don't have any limited. Uh, they have an unlimited supply. Um, I do like cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. Um, and in my book, I talk about crypto asset classes. So I talk about Bitcoin as sound money. But then there's Ethereum. And so what is Ethereum? Ethereum is not actually a competitor. Um, in India, what, what type of smartphones do you guys have? Do you guys have iPhones or Android or what kind of smartphones do you guys have? All of them. All of them. We are a big market. You guys, I'm, I mean, India, everybody wants to be in India. So I figured that I, I don't know if, if iPhones is we possible. Are a huge, we are a huge market and every, the world wants to be in India. Yeah, no, that... I, in all my my business magazines, everybody's talking about how to get into India because it's a huge market. But so iPhone. So, for example, on the iPhone, you have two components. You have Apple Pay and then you have the App Store. Those are two parts of an iPhone. They're not in conflict with one another. If you think of Bitcoin as Apple Pay, it's what you use to, to pay for things. And then Ethereum would be like the App Store. There's these things called on Ethereum called smart contracts that allow you to build decentralized applications. And so all of the decentralized applications of the future, I think will be built on Ethereum. So I'm not somebody that says only Bitcoin is the way, but I certainly think that over 99% of the other cryptocurrencies don't have value. There's a very small group of other cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin, like Ethereum and like these things, things called Oracle protocols and they deal in decentralized finance and things like that. There's some elements there, um, but certainly just because something's a cryptocurrency, I don't think that means it has value. Okay, okay, Brian. So, see, all the cryptos are based, widely based on blockchain. You are sure about Bitcoin, about Ethereum, not so sure about everybody else. Why is it so when the technology is the same? Suppose there are 10,000 of them and 10,000 more people come and say, listen, you don't trust Bitcoin. You don't trust Ethereum. Whom do I trust? Great question. And so I'd say there's this thing called the network effects. I don't know if you've ever heard that term or if people in your audience have heard the term of a network effect, but there's this thing called Metcalf's law. And it's another reason why we can ascribe value to Bitcoin. Um, and it, so back in the, I think it was the 80s or the 70s, when they were trying to figure out how do you value a telecommunications network, 
and then later on, how do you value the internet? Because I think we, none of us would argue that the internet doesn't have value, right? Well, why does the internet have value? It has value because of how many people it connects to one another. I mean, look at us right now. You're in India. I'm in California. We're able to connect and do business and do commerce and do interviews and all these different things because this network allows us to, I would have never met you if it wasn't for, I would have yep. never talked to your audience if it wasn't for the internet. Networks open doors that wouldn't open otherwise. And so Metcalf's law says that a, a network is as valuable as the square of its nodes. So every time you add a new person onto a network, the network becomes twice as valuable as it was because you're opening new doors, right? All of a sudden I meet you, right? We, we, we connect online and now I've connected to everybody in your audience. My network grew exponentially just by one contact with you. And so going back to that, Bitcoin has the biggest network effect out of every cryptocurrency. Most cryptocurrencies have very small networks. They're very centralized. They actually don't have that many people on them. And so they, they, they might market as though they have all these people using their coins or they might market um, and say that they're very decentralized. But there's this term in crypto that we say it's called Dino and it just stands for decentralized in name only. It means they're very centralized companies, but they'll say, oh, we're blockchain, so we're decentralized. They're not decentralized. They're not networks in the same way that Bitcoin or Ethereum are, are networks. Um, and so another way that I would explain this is think of it like language. Language is, is also kind of a network effect. And people say, well, why can't I just go out and create my own cryptocurrency um, and it has value? Or why don't these other cryptocurrencies? They're, well, think of it like language. You and I are speaking English right now. You, I could go out and create Brian language right now. I can make up my own language that has my own words, that has funny sounds and all these different things. But why is my language not valuable? Simple. Nobody uses it. If I want to use something that has value, I'm going to use English because it's one of the most widely used languages on the planet. That's why I use Bitcoin, because it's the most widely used blockchain on the planet. Okay. Okay. Right now. Every sector, every, you know, market or governments uh, for the country, we have governments for the markets. We have a regulator for the, you know, for, uh, for the currency. We have the your federal reserve. We have the Reserve Bank of India. Who do we have for, you know, blockchain based uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or all the cryptos? Yeah, um, well, I know. He, Governments around the world are trying to figure out which one of their regulatory bodies. United, is Nation, United Nations. Yeah, well, the United Nations would love to, to, to govern this, I'm sure. But I think the United Nations is trying to say, hey, so, we're trying to tell the, the different agencies how, so how to regulate this. You've got to have somebody whom you go to if you have a complaint. Yeah. Whom do you go to? The owner of a, a crypto well, here's the thing with Bitcoin, there's no CEO, there's no owner, there's nobody that represents it. There's a set of rules that dictate everything that happens on there. And so if you and I were to start playing a game of say Monopoly and we, we would only sit down and play that game because we knew the rules of the game. And so neither you nor I um, would, would ever have a problem unless one of us decided to break the rules, right? But if somebody breaks the rules, then we just consult the rule book and we look and see who's at fault. With Bitcoin, 
it's computer. It's out. The rules are algorithmic, meaning that when you interact with it, you don't even have the ability to break the rules of the system. When you try to act outside of the rules of the protocol, your transaction just doesn't work. And so there's no way for you to be robbed by the algorithm. There's nobody that can take, that can take your money as far as like the, there's no CEO of Bitcoin that can take your money that you would then have to complain to. If you want to interact with Bitcoin, you look at the set of rules, you look at how it works. And if you like those rules, you can interact with it. If you don't like those rules, then maybe you can go to a different blockchain or you can continue to use fiat currency. But it's not so much, um, you know, earlier you talked about uh, how government officials, you know, they can be held accountable. Well, you think about how when a government official is held accountable, how does that work? First, there's a set of rules. And then the government official who's supposed to abide by those rules breaks the rules. And how do we hold them accountable? We, we look at the rules and see what they did wrong. Well, with Bitcoin, the rules are established ahead of time. And everybody that's working on the network is programmed. You, it, everything's programmed into every transaction. You can't break the rules. So there's no needing to hold anybody accountable because there's no way for somebody to break those rules in the first place. Now, all the things like um, companies, like in the United States, we just had a few cryptocurrency companies that were holding people's money. And then those, they were kind of acting like banks. And then those crypto companies became insolvent. Um, that's a problem. And that's something that federal regulations and things like that um, can, can, you know, the SEC and all of our regulators here in the United States can step in because that was a business. And so certainly the SEC has jurisdiction over businesses that hold people's cryptocurrency. But, um, you know, it, it's it's just like when uh, when banks, if banks became insolvent and the, the regulators had to step in, they wouldn't go to the Federal Reserve and say, hey, this problem is with the U.S. dollar. No, the problem is with the entity that was holding the currency. So if there's a problem with the entity that's holding the currency or the money, then you deal with them based on the laws of the land. But in terms of Bitcoin itself, it really kind of self-regulates. It's like a, it has its own constitution, right? It has this set of rules and there's just no way for anybody to violate the constitution of the network. Okay. Okay, Brian. Now, you know, one of my last questions is that Bitcoin and cryptos, uh, when we are talking about banks and they will be replacing banks in some format and a lot of people, if you put your money in bank, it becomes accounted money. If I put my money into Bitcoin or any other crypto, is there a guarantee? Can you tell me it is accounted or unaccounted money? So you're talking about in terms of like insured, insured, like uh at the bank is your money yeah yeah you see the thing is that if i put my money my salary or anything that goes into a bank the government knows that this is legitimate money the source of money if i convert anything into bitcoin or any other i'm talking about money laundering i'm talking yeah. about you know other sort of fundings anybody can pay me in bitcoin sitting in india and i can just coolly not even take a briefcase and move on to another company country take a, take a citizenship of any other country pay some money there citizenships can be bought nowadays you know yeah. if you tell them you are going to invest so much of money and you are the coolest dude ever in this in the history of mankind tell me about that yeah well no i mean i think there is a component to bitcoin that that maybe that's perhaps why governments are a little skeptical about it because there's a perhaps a lack of accountability with it. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the trade-off, right? Um, I would say that money and Bitcoin in particular is amoral. Um, I had a, a missionary friend, uh, he, he's out, you know, a Christian missionary, and he was telling me that he, he and I don't know if this is true, but his story was cool. So I'm going to tell it here. He just said, do you know the, the, the two most sold things on the black market um, that are bought with, uh, you know, dirty money is, are, is heroin and Bibles. The two, the two most purchased things. So um, very different on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? You have illicit drugs and then you have like a religious text um, that, that people buy. And so money can be used for really bad things. Money can be used for really good things. And I'd say that, yes, governments may not like that portion of it. But I would say that at the end of the day, I don't know if the government always has the right to those things. I think that thinking from a freedom aspect, a liberty-minded aspect, I think that we as, as, as individuals should have the ability to have control of our own money. I don't sell drugs. I don't do. I don't do partake in human trafficking. I don't really have anything to hide from the government as, as, in terms of the way I get my money. But I do like the fact that my money is private and that I can hold it myself. Um, just as a sovereign citizen, I, I like that concept. Um, I pay my taxes. I, I do my uh, my duties as a citizen. Um, but I also think that I should have a right to some privacy as a citizen as well. And that changes from from region to region. The, the laws in India might be different than the laws in the United States, and they might be different than the laws in Great Britain. Well, I think that if we have the ability to move to jurisdictions where you like those laws, I think that's some of this, the, the freedom as well. But I think Bitcoin is like a passport to the entire world. Um, if I want to live in India, I can live in India and hold Bitcoin. If I want to live in the U.S., I can live in the U.S. and hold Bitcoin. So I think that, uh, you know, for the liberty minded people, the freedom minded people, I think Bitcoin has a, a, a tremendous value proposition. Right. Right, Brian. I've asked you some very tough questions and you have answered them with as much, you know, uh, knowledge that you could have about this particular market. And you are you are an expert of this particular, you know, system that's coming up, this concept. But uh, uh, this 40, 40 minutes or, or 15 minutes around, you can only ask as much and you can only explain as much. A lot of more is there in your book. Tell us uh, what exactly uh, this book uh, in short and then where can one get this book? How they can connect with you? How can they get, get uh, their hands on this book? Okay. Well, yeah. So as I mentioned briefly earlier, so it might have passed over some people, but I, I really talk about the history of Bitcoin, what the terms mean, because some of these things might sound complicated or technical and you feel like, oh, I need to understand uh, all this complicated computer science stuff in order to adopt Bitcoin. Um, what I tell people all the time is think back to the first time you ever sent an email. Did you ask before you sent an email, did you ask, huh, how do SMTP servers work? How does TPC or TCP IP protocol on the internet work? No, we never asked those questions. What we did was we typed out an email, we hit send, it worked, and we sent an email, we sent a, a message across the world um, instantly and for free, and we just... It just made sense to us because we saw it. I would say that Bitcoin's kind of the same way. Um, I think one of the best ways to, to get started with Bitcoin is just to download a Bitcoin wallet, buy $2 worth of Bitcoin. People think that they need to make, make a big investment. I need to invest $5,000 in Bitcoin. No, you don't need to invest $5,000 in Bitcoin. Buy $2 of Bitcoin, send $1 of Bitcoin to a friend that lives in another country, 
do it on a Sunday night when all your banks are closed. And that's just going to be like the biggest eye-opening experience. Wow. I can send money to anybody, anywhere, anytime, instantly for basically free. And I have total control over that. Um, so my book talks a lot about those types of things, how to get started with it, why it matters, why it has inherent value. And if it does have those things, then I do talk about the potential long-term value appreciation. Bitcoin has this amazing ability to go up every uh, every four years. Um, there's never any guarantee with investments. You can never say, oh, we guarantee that something's going to go up. But based on the supply and demand of Bitcoin, it really seems like the trajectory of Bitcoin is to very stratospheric numbers. Um, Bitcoin, every four years, there's a stat that nobody in Bitcoin has ever lost money or value by holding it for four years or more. So if you're going to get into Bitcoin, buy a bunch today and then maybe turn around and sell tomorrow at a profit, you're basically gambling. Don't do that. If you're going to buy Bitcoin as an investable asset, do it over the long term and you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. You can buy pieces of Bitcoin where uh, most currencies are divisible down to two decimal places. Right. Um, in the US, our dollar is it can break down into pennies. So 0.01 of a dollar is a penny with Bitcoin. You can break it down to eight decimal places so you can buy. 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. You can buy less than one cent worth of a Bitcoin. Um, right now for, you know, for one US dollar, you can buy a thousand pieces of Bitcoin. So you can buy these really small pieces of Bitcoin. You don't have to invest $23,000. It doesn't have to be a life-changing move. Just dabble with it, play with it. Um, don't treat it as an investment, treat it as a technology. And then maybe that'll that'll help you on the back end. But if, if people want to get in contact with me, one of the best ways to get in contact is through Twitter. Um, my, my Twitter account is at Brian, B-R-I-A-N-T-H-E, the mint m-i-n-t or i'm also on instagram at brian b-r-i-a-n dot dement um so people can reach out to me if they have questions um i'm very responsive on there i love to to go back and forth I give away satoshis so those little pieces of bitcoin i was talking about if you're if you follow me on twitter i give out pieces of uh, of bitcoin all the time i love showing people how the technology works and i figured the easiest way to show people is say just give me your wallet address and I'll send you money. <laughs> um, there, it's usually small amounts of money, you know, 25 cents, a dollar, that sort of thing. But there are these little chunks of Bitcoin and people get it instantly. And it's very fun. So follow me on Twitter. I give a lot of Bitcoin away on there. Um, and then my book, it's available on Amazon. If you're in an area where Amazon's available, it's on Amazon. I also have, uh, it's on my website, freshlymintedbooks.com, freshlymintedbooks.com. But anybody that messages me, I want people to read this. Um, Bitcoin, one of the cool things about it, it's open source software. Anybody can download the Bitcoin software. It's free to use the Bitcoin software. So to keep with that ethos, to keep with that principle of Bitcoin, I've even made my ebook free. So if anybody wants to read my book and they don't have any money or they don't have very much money or they're just kind of interested, but they don't want to commit to buying the, the full book, um, just direct message me on Twitter or on Instagram and I'll send you a link to the book for free. You can share it with friends. You can send it to people. My books, uh, it's, it's one of the first books ever. I hid a Bitcoin wallet inside of the book. So like I said earlier, I mentioned it briefly, but you can secure a Bitcoin wallet with a 12 word passphrase. I broke up that 12 word passphrase and scattered it throughout the book. So it's like an Easter egg hunt. You can go through read the book. I, I put about, uh, it has about $700 worth of Bitcoin in this wallet. So if you can find the 12 words, put them together, you can get about $700 worth of Bitcoin just for reading the book. 
Uh, the book's been out for a little over a month. Nobody's found all 12 words yet, so the game is still going. Um, but anyways, um, the, the ebook that I give out for free, you can uh, message me. That, that also has the 12 words in it as well. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for all the information, for answering all the questions, and for, you know, uh, explaining things the way you have done for our audience, global audience, but focused more on India. And may... May all this, uh, your advice and, and your book, help people mint a lot of money. Mm -hmm. With that, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.